Mark 8, verses 1 to 21. During those days, another large crowd gathered. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have had nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way, because some of them have come a long distance. His disciples answered, But where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. When he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people, and they did so. They had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. Afterwards, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 men were present. And having sent them away, he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the region of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. To test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and said, Why does this generation ask for a miraculous sign? I tell you the truth, no sign will be given to it. Then he left them, got back into the boat and crossed to the other side. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread, except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another and said, It is because we have no bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears that fail to hear? And don't you remember, when I broke the five loaves for the five thousand, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the four thousand, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered, seven. He said to them, Do you still not understand? And you may well say, No, Lord, I don't. I haven't a clue what you're talking about. So let us pray. Lord, we pray. Open our eyes and our ears to see you in your greatness, to hear your word, that we may participate in your great mission of love to this needy world. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, good morning, St. John's. We begin with verse 1. In those days, a great crowd gathered to hear Jesus, and not the usual crowd either. The vast crowds that had gathered in Galilee had begun to alarm the religious and political authorities there, and they were getting ready to respond with force to ensure they dominated the streets. So Jesus had left and was now on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, a distinct religious and political region known as the Decapolis with a largely 
Gentile population. Um, so I'm very glad to be given this passage today because these are just the sort of people that London City Mission has been working amongst. Uh, for the people we used to send overseas missionaries to have now come to live amongst us. And wonderfully, some have come back as um, reverse missionaries, but um, many, like the people of the Decapolis, actually worship other gods, and many of them are still so entrenched in their own communities, they're very unlikely to hear that the, the good news of the God who so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, unless the church very deliberately goes to them. So for this, our Mission Sunday, let me give you two things to think about from this passage. First, why did such a large crowd of non-Jews gather to Jesus? As far as we know, Jesus had only made one previous visit to this area and had stayed less than a day because the locals made it very clear they did not want him there. Now, Jesus did not normally venture into non-Jewish areas. He was very insistent that he had come to minister to the lost sheep of the house of Israel only. But that would not be the case for his disciples following his resurrection. Their mission would begin amongst Jews in Jerusalem, but then go out to the very ends of the earth. So, Back in Mark chapter 5, Jesus had taken them across the Sea of Galilee to this region in order to give them a first taster of overseas mission. There they met a man um, in desperate need, so afflicted by evil, so out of his mind that he appeared to be beyond help. His own people had initially tried to restrain him with iron chains, but he had simply torn the chains apart. So they had simply driven him from their town, chasing him out to dwell amongst the tombs, keeping him far away from their people and their property. So terrifying was his ranting and raving that when Jesus and his disciples arrived in a boat, the disciples never ventured out of the boat. They left Jesus to confront him alone, which Jesus did with his usual compassion and authority. He commanded the evil spirits to depart from him, the him with just a word and restored his sanity. But the initial encounter was so explosive that a large herd of pigs nearby had panicked and run over the cliff into the sea. So when the townspeople came out to see what had happened, they found the man sitting calmly, peaceably, dressed in his right mind, but no pigs. And they were afraid and pleaded with Jesus to go and leave them alone. They were prepared to accept there was evil in the world, providing they could manage it as best they could, but were fearful of an even greater power and authority coming amongst them, even if Jesus was only exhibiting that power and authority for their good to deliver and to restore. So Jesus, for all his power and authority, had meekly assented and got ready to leave. 
But as he was getting back into the boat, the, the man who'd been delivered understandably wanted to go with him. But he said to him, no, go back to your own people and tell them how much God has done for you. So Mark reports he went back into the whole region of the Decapolis and told them how much Jesus had done for him. The result was when Jesus next came to this region, this a huge crowd gathered to him. Now, many churches would love to have large crowds, especially a large crowd of 4,000 men. But this crowd, notice, only gathered because Jesus had invested time and energy in one of the most hopeless cases imaginable. Uh, many churches commend the work of the London City and other, other uh, mission agencies who work with such people. But do not believe you can build a church with people like this. And so do not make them a priority. But those who have been marginalised by their own people and live on the fringes of their communities may be the easiest people for us to reach. And such people, transformed by the words of Jesus, can go back into their communities and tell them what Jesus has done for them in a way that we never could. So this large crowd gathered to Jesus and stayed with him three days, we are told, giving no thought, apparently, for where their next meal was coming from. Presumably because they were experiencing what the man um, who Jesus had delivered was experiencing, the words that delivered them from their demons and the word that restored them to full humanity. I wonder if you can imagine ever wanting to uh, listen to a great teacher teach for three days without you ever giving thought to anything else. Uh, we limit our Sunday teaching slots to about 20-25 minutes and um, I gather some think even that is too long. Perhaps maybe you could imagine going to um, a music festival uh, for three days, for few things feed the soul quite the way music does. But what about listening to the voice of the Creator who sang creation into being? I remember when I used to go into Wandsworth Prison giving a gospel uh, to a man who was clearly hungry uh, to hear more. When I saw him uh, the following week, I was hoping he might have read the first few chapters, but to my amazement discovered he'd read the whole of the gospel and not only read it to himself, but read it aloud to his cellmate who couldn't read. Within four weeks, he'd read Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Here's a wonderful illustration of why this crowd could be so hungry for what Jesus was teaching that they forgot all about their normal food. The Bible says we cannot live by bread alone, but only by the word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I wonder if that is the reason why so many people at this present time have been logging on to 
online services who would never normally attend a church service, including, I understand, people from other religions. Same thing I'd like us to think about is the way Jesus was preparing his disciples to continue this ministry to those outside the family of God after he had departed. We read, since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. Now, last month we looked at uh, Mark's account of Jesus feeding the 5,000. Now we have a crowd of 4,000. In both cases, Jesus put the problem of how to feed this crowd that had been with him so long into the disciples' hands. A responsibility that both times they were very reluctant to accept. So we read verse 4, his disciples answered, But where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? Much as they'd said last time. Well, you can understand how they reacted with such confusion the first time. But given the miracle they'd already witnessed, it's a bit of a puzzle why they respond in exactly the same way this time. Um, it's probably, as Jesus had put it a little later, they had eyes that did not see and ears that did not hear. They're very, very slow on the uptake. Were they perhaps blinded by their prejudice? Was it because these people were not their people that they felt they had got no responsibility to them? As um, the well-known proverb of the time put it, it's not right to take the children's bread and feed it to their dogs. Uh, a rather racist version of our proverb, charity begins at home. So once again, Jesus takes charge, yet ensures that his ministry to the crowds this time will only go out through the disciples. He asks them what they did have seven loaves, they said, which he takes and blesses and gives thanks for before breaking them and giving them back to the disciples so that they could distribute them to the crowd. So he feeds the crowd with the disciples' resources and by the disciples' hands. And as it was then, so it has been ever since. Jesus ministers to the people of this world through his church. When um, huge numbers of people from overseas that we've already referred to began to come here, um, especially in the great wave of migration that took place at the end of the last century, the beginning of this century, Many churches felt that ministering to these people was quite beyond them. They just didn't have the resources or they weren't really sure it was their responsibilities, especially since so many of them were from very different religious 
backgrounds. Leave that to the agencies, such as London City Mission, who can recruit specialist workers, which we have done. But um, what we are able to do just scratches the surface of the need in London, which is why so many children born and raised in this country have still never heard the good news of Jesus. Thankfully, um, the churches are now much more aware that they can no longer neglect the thousands of people who are in their catchment areas and are increasingly inviting us to work with them and to help them to mobilise and equip their own people to reach out in love to people who are very different from themselves. In this we rejoice, but we recognise it will not be easy and it will be costly. So let me finally note the way Jesus not only used the disciples' resources to feed this crowd, but he was preparing his disciples to give not just what they had, but to give their very selves to Jesus so he could bless them and give them to the people. So I want to just pick up on the way Jesus in this passage indicates to us that he is preparing his disciples not only to give what bread they have, but to be that bread so that he could bless them and give them to others and distribute them amongst the nations. Um, it is why um, um, Jesus here um, warns his disciples about the leaven of the religious teachers of the time in verse 15. Watch out, be careful of the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. For the character of our teachers, those who most influence us, whose words are shaping us and forming us, will grow in us. We will become like them. And Jesus was deeply concerned at the way his disciples appeared to be showing the same hardness of heart as that of the religious leaders who opposed him, who had eyes but did not see and ears that did not hear. And it's because Jesus is symbolically forming his disciples into bread that he asks his disciples about the number of loaves he used to feed the 5,000 and then the 4,000 in those puzzling verses at the end, verses 17 to 19. There were five loaves for the 5,000, the disciples tell him, after which they filled 12 baskets with leftovers. 12 being the symbolic number associated with Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel. For this crowd was a very Jewish crowd. Seven loaves for the 4,000, after which they filled seven baskets with leftovers, seven being the number associated with the seven Canaanite nations that had possessed the land before Israel arrived, whose descendants Jesus had effectively just been teaching and ministering to. So do the sums. 
5 loaves per 7 loaves equals 12 loaves. The number of loaves that represent Israel. The number of loaves that were actually placed before the Lord in the temple every Sabbath day by the priests. Because Israel only ever existed so that through them the nations might taste and see that the Lord is good. So from these two crowds, Jesus is gathering to himself a new Jew-Gentile people to be the restored Israel of 12 loaves who would be given to the Lord that the world might taste and see that the Lord is good. Jesus came as the bread of God from heaven to give his life to be broken that we might feed on him and have the life that endures to eternal life. And Jesus came to form a people who would be like him and give not just their resources, but their very selves. And we are that people. Which is why when we take the Lord's Supper, the church is described as one loaf. And why when we do this, we reenact Jesus taking bread and blessing it and giving it to his disciples. That Sunday by Sunday, we may go out and feed the crowds we live and work amongst. Both our people, those of our family and culture and heritage, as in the feeding of the 5,000 but also those who are not of our family, culture or religion, as in the feeding of the 4,000. May the Lord, who has gathered all the peoples of the world to this great city in which we live, move us and the churches of London to give ourselves and our resources into his hands, that they might be fed with the bread of life. And may the Lord enable London City Mission and other mission agencies to serve the churches of London as they go about this great work.